Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. If we can find ways to increase the average length of our tenancies, then we can be more profitable. Just think about it. Every time we've got to fill a room, we've got to manage inquiries. We've got to arrange viewings. We've got to process tenancy paperwork. We've got to protect deposits. We've got to do a check-in and settle tenants into their new home. And all of this takes time and it costs us money. If we can just turn the dial slightly and reduce that rate of attrition, if we can just reduce the rate of churn in our HMOs, then we can save time and we can be more profitable. Does that sound good? Do you want to save time and earn more? Well, if it does, stick with me because I'm going to bring you 10 ways to do exactly that. Hey guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Okay, welcome back to the show and thank you once again for joining me for today's episode of the HMO Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Andy Graham, and it is an absolute pleasure to have you here today. If you're brand new to the show, then welcome. And if you're a long-term listener, then you're a superstar. You mean the world to me. And thank you so much for continuing to tune into the podcast. Now, today we're going to talk about how to keep tenants for longer and be more profitable. I think too many people get caught up with the idea of pushing rents and generating revenue there when actually holding on to tenants for longer, actually reducing costs can be so much more profitable. Sometimes you've got to zoom out of your business to see this. And I think to some extent, this does come with experience. But I've learned over the years that if we can hold on to our tenants for longer, we can be much more profitable because my team and me have much less to do. And of course, we don't have the black hole to fill. We haven't got a week or two or three or several weeks where we've actually got an empty room sitting. So it can be substantial. And particularly if you begin to multiply that across a portfolio, the outcome, the effect can be massive. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about 10 ways that you can do this. Now, the very first one might sound a little bit simple, but Have you ever been anywhere or been having a conversation with someone and they've 
said your name and you were surprised, you were taken aback because you didn't think that there was a chance in hell that they would have known your name. This happened to me at a hotel in Dubai once. I stayed at a really nice hotel once. I was on a business trip and went down for breakfast that morning and the staff there who were welcoming guests into the breakfast area knew my name and I couldn't believe it. And there were hundreds of people Good morning, Mr. Gray. And wow, that had a massive impression on me. Now, obviously, they didn't know me personally, but they'd gone out of their way to make sure they knew my name. And it works. <laughs> you know, it makes you feel like people know you, like people actually genuinely care about your experience. And I adopted that same tactic into my HMO business and I asked my staff to do the same. Now, I can't remember everybody's name in our portfolio. We've got a lot of tenants and it would be just too much. And I don't go into the houses enough and I don't see the tenants enough. But it's so easy for me just to flick onto the system, remind myself of my tenants' names if I'm going to go in there. And if I do see them when I'm in there, I can just have a conversation. I can say, hi, Rachel, how's things going? And that has a massive impact. If you read some of the reports, like the Knight Frank report, which is published annually, about what it is that tenants want and look for in their accommodation, a good relationship with their landlord is still right at the top of that list. Tenants want to feel like their landlords care, like their landlords actually understand and are on hand if things go wrong. And just knowing somebody's name and demonstrating that and being able to strike up a fairly natural conversation is a really simple and effective way to do that. Trust me, just knowing a tenant's name and being able to say hi will go a long, long way. Simple, won't cost you anything to do, but I bet you it will help. Moving on to number two then. Insist on longer ASTs. Most landlords, most investors, most agents will be happy to sign a six-month AST with tenants, and that's absolutely fine. But of course, it might be the case that tenants want to move out at the end of that six months. But if we can sign longer ASTs, and this isn't about holding tenants under duress, but if we can sign longer ASTs and tenants stay for longer and other tenants in the house do as well, that can forge much better, much stronger, much deeper connections between tenants. And that creates a really stable, sticky household. And that is really the holy grail. So what about 12-month ASTs? We do this a lot, particularly with our student properties, of course, but certainly with our professional properties that are really popular, where we know that when we do have rooms, we can fill them really quickly, but still we'd rather not. We want tents to actually stay and not move out. We don't want that attrition happening. So think about signing longer ASTs. What about 12-month contracts? And if you can get people to stay for longer, people who are happy to do that, you can probably bet that that is almost immediately going to reduce the amount of churn that you have in your HMOs. Now, one of the things I see a lot of landlords doing, a lot of investors doing, and I'd really advise against this, if you can, is giving tenants short-term contracts, giving them three months or four months, and then the ability to move on and move out. Now, of course, from a legal point of view, we can't actually serve a notice until month four. We can't actually get a tenant to leave until month six. Now, I don't want to get into the details of tenancy legislation in today's episode, but that tenant could move on after just three months, if that's what you've agreed with them. And that doesn't help Tenants build and forge relationships. It doesn't help with that stickiness and it is just going to contribute to the problem of churn. We're actually making the problem for ourselves. So where possible, try and avoid at all costs short-term ASTs. So that brings me nicely on to the third piece of advice I want to share with you, which is being proactive when it comes to renewing tenancies. Now, if you can get tenants to sign up on 12-month ASTs, how about a month nine, you approach them, you do something special for them, and you ask them if they want to renew for a further year. All of a sudden, you could be getting tenants who are staying for two years. 
and you're only having to ask them at month nine. By that time, hopefully they've got some good friends in the house, they're enjoying it, they're finding that your landlord service or management service is good and they actually want to stay. This again will just reduce the churn or reduce the risk of them handing the notice in two, three, four months later. They're going to commit and when they're committed, they are going to commit to being a good tenant, to being a key part of that household as well. So be proactive when it comes to renewing your tenancies. Don't just let tenancies roll and lapse and hope that people stay. Actually take the bull by the horns and see if you can get tenants to stay for longer. Okay, the fourth piece of advice I want to share with you today is having an epic tenant matching process. Now, you have to be super proactive when it comes to advertising your rooms or advertising your properties and making it clear as to what the sort of tenant you're looking for is. If you can find tenants who are a similar age, who have similar interests, who are there for similar reasons, then they're going to stay longer. They're going to build those natural relationships. They're going to forge stronger relationships. And of course, that creates a sticky household. And then why would anybody want to leave? But you have to be really clear on this when you're advertising your properties. You have to be really clear on this and trying to extract this sort of information out from tenants when you're going through that process of vetting them. There's no exact process. There's no exact science to this. And you won't get it right every single time. But if you do spend some time and give some attention to looking for people who have those similar interests and looking at what they say in their bios and asking them questions to try and pull that information from them, then you will find it a little bit easier to put tenants together who are likely to enjoy living together. And that brings me on nicely to the next point, the fifth piece of advice I want to share with you today, which is introducing tenants at viewings. Now, you have to be careful with this because you need the right tenant. If you've got a household with some prickly tenants, then this is not going to work in your favour and you probably don't want to do it. But if you've got a house with great tenants, friendly tenants, engaging tenants, tenants that you feel actually sell the living, the accommodation, then why not introduce a prospective viewer to those guys, you need to make sure and you should take responsibility for making sure that a prospective viewer is likely to be a good fit, is likely to get on and be able to strike up a reasonable conversation with your current tenants. But if they're in the house and you know their name and you can introduce them and they can have a short but brief conversation there, that can actually do a huge amount of good. That can really help convince people that this could be a cool place to live, a nice place to stay with nice people, people who are similar. And that is really going to help. And again, you're just making sure that you're building that household with tenants who have similar interests, who have good, strong, well-forged relationships. And of course, those are the people that stay. Those are the people that don't leave. It increases your customer lifetime value, reduces your attrition rate, and it saves you time, saves you money. So it's a good thing to do. But pick carefully, pick wisely. It doesn't work in every instance. There are definitely some tenants that have slipped through our portfolio that, yeah, probably wouldn't go out of my way to introduce some of our other tenants to. It is really nice though when you're in there and you can introduce a prospective viewer to your tenants and you can have that conversation and you can see that they're just going to get on and you can see it's going to work. And actually I've seen people make decisions there and then on the spot that they want to live there and I can see that our tenants, they like that as well. They respect that, they appreciate that, they feel valued that you're almost giving them an opportunity to be part of that process as well. So it's a two-way thing. Moving on to number six then. Prioritising community and the specification of your properties. Now, I suppose we have to go back a few steps and actually think about the accommodation that we're providing, the standard of living that we're actually 
offering. And of course, that is determined through the process of planning and refurbishing our HMOs. Now, I don't want to go into the detail of exactly how to do it in today's episode. It would be just too much. But the key things to remember are that communal living is key. If you can actually promote that community experience, if you can promote ways for your tenants to sit down together, to spend time together, to engage, to build those relationships, then that's going to help people stay for longer. That's going to help you increase the average length of your tenancies. And just being smart about the way that you use open plan spaces or actually create open plan spaces if you don't have that in the first instance. The way that you place and use furniture around your houses, the fact that you just have a big massive, (laughs) super huge HD smart TV so they can watch Amazon and Netflix and stuff. And over the last 18 months of the pandemic, you know, that has been huge. Without that sort of stuff, it can be quite a lonely existence. Imagine only having a kitchen and then a separate place where you eat and then not much space to actually sit back, relax, chill. Tenants will spend their time in the room. And of course, if they're spending time in the rooms, they're not spending time with each other. And then those relationships aren't forged. And then, of course, people don't feel a particular draw to staying in that property. And that's one of the reasons why people often move. So when you're planning your refurbishments, you're looking at properties, really think and prioritise the way that you can make a community feeling, how you can create that communal environment so that people can actually sit and spend time talking and engaging and being together. I really am not a fan of HMOs that don't have communal spaces. There are some examples where it does work, but very few and very far between. And of course, you're going to be looking at a particular tenant type. And of course, they're not likely to stay that long because why would they? Number seven then, dealing with maintenance quickly. Now, I'm almost loath to say this one because it is tough to deal with all of the maintenance that you're going to get with HMOs quickly. But... There's no doubt about it. This is a priority to tenants. All the reports are there. All the surveys are there for us to go and read. And we do know that tenants place a huge amount of value on the speed and efficiency at which we can deal with maintenance things. Now, I'm still a big advocate for making sure that you manage expectations, making sure that tenants understand what reasonable timeframes are. But don't just leave things for several weeks because you can try and still get them done quickly. If you can, your tenants will appreciate it. And that will feed into the next point, which is about being a good landlord. Now, being a good landlord isn't just about doing maintenance quickly. That's not what it's about at all. Being a good landlord is about being proactive and actually catching things before they happen, making sure that those inspections are happening, making sure tenants are safe. If they see you dealing with things proactively before they become a problem, they will pick up on that. They'll really appreciate that. Being a good landlord is about being fair. Sometimes you've got to say no. And sometimes you've got to listen and say, yeah, you know what? That's probably not unreasonable. We had a number of tenants asking for desks and chairs because in some of our professional rooms, we don't provide them. It's just a space thing. Not every single tenant wants them. Some of our tenants actually move into rooms and ask them if we can take them out because they just want more space for other stuff. But where some tenants wanted them and didn't have them, we said, yeah, you know what? You're working from home. No problem. We had some issues with broadband and there were packages that we could upgrade to when tenants started asking about the broadband speeds and whether there's anything we can do. We said, yeah, you know what? You're working from home. There's not much else going on at the minute. We're going to upgrade for you. And that goes a huge way to making sure that people feel valued, that tenants feel valued. And of course, tenants who feel valued are likely to stay for longer. 
being understanding. A lot of tenants have had a difficult time over the last 18 months, two years, and just being on hand to understand some of the problems that they've been going through. Some have been furloughed. Some haven't been able to earn as much as they would do. Some have struggled to pay their rent on time. Just be reasonable. And if you can be reasonable, they will genuinely be reasonable back to you. And I can't stress that enough. If you can be fair and reasonable with tenants, that just goes so far. They feel so valued for that. And of course, make sure above all else that you and your team communicate well with your tenants. If you can't get something done quickly, if you can't get a repair done quickly, just let them know. Tell them why. Manage their expectations and tell them when it will be getting done. Give them an update, give them feedback. All of this stuff, all of little stuff makes a massive, massive difference. And actually, it isn't a huge ask of us and it doesn't take a huge amount of additional time to actually do it. For most of us, it's just a case of actually remembering it and having a system to make sure that it happens. But trust me, this will go a long way in building that value that your tenants have with you as a landlord, with your house, and they will stay for longer. Number nine then, dealing with problematic tenants quickly and swiftly. Now, no matter what you do, no matter how good your vetting process is, some tenants that are difficult will slip through the net and you're going to have to deal with them at some point. We've had to deal with dozens over the years. Fortunately, none of them have been too bad, but these tenants can become a bit of a virus in the house and that virus can spread and it can upset other tenants. And of course, other tenants begin to leave. If you've got a problematic tenant and you've got other tenants reporting this, just telling you about certain behaviours or things that are going on, don't just stand by. You might not be able to do too much. You might have to manage the expectations of all the other tenants, or maybe you do have to step in and actually deal with it. Nip it in the bud. There's little things like tenants or a particular tenant being noisy or not cleaning enough. Just have a conversation with them. Remind them of their obligations. Remind them of why it's important. Try and do it and keep them on side at the same time. It's not a telling off. It's just trying to get them to understand But if things are getting out of hand, things are spiralling, there are more serious things happening, then you need to make sure and you need to show by example that you are dealing with it. If you do that, your other tenants, the tenants who are upset, are more than likely going to stick with you. They're going to believe you. They're going to have trust and faith in you and that you're going to deal with this problematic tenant. But if you just stand by and let it go on and on and they keep having to tell you and it just gets worse then there's a good chance that your good tenants are actually going to leave. And then, of course, you end up with a house with a high rate of attrition, with a lot of churn, and then you've still got a difficult tenant stuck there. And he upsets the new tenants that move in. And that can become a real problem. That virus can hang around for a long, 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 long time. And you want to avoid that at all costs. So deal with problematic tenants swiftly and directly. Number 10, then finally, number 10. I like this one. And I don't think everyone does it. I don't think everybody sees the value of it. And I think particularly when you look at the broader landlord community, this is undoubtedly a way to put yourself on a pedestal, to make yourself stand out as being a completely different and better landlord or management service. And that is to surprise your tenants. It's to wow your tenants, give them an experience that they're not expecting. Just little things like free pizza nights, putting them into a competition where they can get free rent for the month, sending them a birthday cards. You know, these little things have a huge impact. And you know what? It's the collection. It's doing all of these things that actually build the strongest relationships, that actually 
mean your tenants want to stay? If you do all of this, then unless they had to move for work, had to move for a relationship or decided it was time to actually go and buy their own house, why would they move? We're never going to remove all the reasons why tenants need or want to move on, but we can certainly deal with 10 of the reasons here today as to why tenants often typically do move on. We can do all of this and it doesn't take that much effort or time or cost to do it. So there we are, 10 ways to help keep tenants longer and be more profitable. Number one, know your tenant's name. Number two, insist on longer ASTs. Number three, be proactive when it comes to renewing ASTs. Number four, have an epic tenant matching process. Number five, introduce tenants at viewings. Number six, prioritise the community feeling and the spec of your properties. Number seven, deal with maintenance quickly. Number eight, be a good landlord, be proactive, be fair, be understanding and communicate well. Number nine, deal with problematic tenants quickly. Deal with them swiftly, deal with them directly. Number 10, surprise your tenants, wow them, do things that they don't expect. I guarantee if you employ these 10 ways to hold on to tenants for longer, you'll have more time, you'll be more profitable, and you'll enjoy being a landlord much, much more. Happy tenants, happy homes happy landlords. That is it for another episode of the HMO podcast, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Don't forget, if you haven't already joined, come and check out the HMO community. I'm on hand with the community. We're there to offer you more guidance and more support. So bring your questions, bring your problems, and we will help you find the solutions. If on your way out, you could find 30 seconds to leave a nice, shiny five-star review for me, I would hugely appreciate it because everything helps. And don't forget to join me next week, right back here in the same place for another installment of the HMO podcast. <laughs>